It's Wednesday, June 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, Aaron Bush, and from Million Dollar Portfolio and Supernova, Simon Erickson. Happy Wednesday. Happy there, Wednesday. Chris. Simon Erickson back in the room. He was here yesterday. He's back in the room today because he's a Solar City guy. And that is, uh, as they say in, uh, in the music industry, that is topic A. That's right. Topic A is the fact that the news ferry showed up with Tesla Motors offering to buy Solar City for the tidy sum of $2.8 billion in stock. There are a bunch of threads I want to pull here, but Simon, what did you think when you first saw the news? Uh, I was not happy with the news ferry's news. <laughs> she, she did not leave a good present, I don't believe, uh, with this deal. Reason being, from a Solar City perspective, um, which we do have as a recommendation in several of our services, I just think that it's it's really low ball offer. I think this is undervaluing the the significant potential that Solar City has uh, for equity holders over the longer term. So yes, it is an all stock deal. You do get to maintain the upside of shares of Tesla going forward, but um, I think the offer price personally is a little too low. Now is the point, Aaron, where I um, I mentioned that since Simon used the word lowball to describe the offer, that Elon Musk is the CEO of Tesla Motors. Yep, he is the chairman of Solar City. He owns roughly a fifth of both companies, and his cousin is the CEO of Solar City as well. So you got a little bit of that going on too. A little bit. Yep, a little bit. <laughs> Elon Musk. Has I would argue a a very good reputation, and I think that is helping him right now, because if he didn't have a very good reputation, this would just look like uh, I I don't want to say it would look dirty, mm-hmm. but it would it would it would just smack of um, nepotism. Yeah, and lining one's own pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a from a Tesla standpoint, I should mention what the stocks are doing. I mean, Solar City stock is up on this news. Um, Tesla Motors shares were down about 10% overnight mm-hmm. this morning. They bounced back a little bit, but still down about 7 8%. And Aaron, when I just look at the media coverage, there aren't a lot of people who are giving thumbs up to this deal. Yeah, I mean, my perspective on this is that it really is mixed. There are pros and cons to this deal. So, starting with what I like, I think that bringing Solar City in house gives Tesla a pretty obvious benefit for their whole upcoming Tesla energy business. And um, on one hand, I think this deal makes good sense from a product ecosystem perspective. Tesla owners will get a cost-effective, environmentally friendly, and probably a cool brand-friendly way to charge their cars. Um, and the future of Tesla Energy, so to speak, is probably bound to be something more intriguing because of this deal. And I think that's probably going to be a big business. Um, and, and then the the other thing I, I like about this. Um, is more grounded in the numbers. If you listen to Tesla's past earnings call, where Elon Musk was talking about the importance of being the best manufacturer in the world and the importance of vertical integration and all of that, um, I, it becomes clear that Solar City fits directly into that. With Solar City, Tesla will be able to um, provide both greater scale and manufacturing expertise for Solar City, which I think is is probably deeply needed or would just be massively helpful for their costs. 
um, and it will accelerate adoption of their total addressable market. So, so that is the good side I see for Tesla. I mean, what I dislike. Can I, can I take a guess on what's uh, on the list for the downside? Oh, go for it. Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere on the list is the distraction element, because Tesla Motors is on the hook for delivering a whole lot of vehicles in the next couple of years. And now, if this deal goes through, and there's no reason to think it won't, but mm-hmm. we can get to that in a second, Simon. If this deal goes through, then all of a sudden, there's a whole other chunk of the business that is distracting Elon Musk and his team from delivering all of those vehicles. Yeah, I'm not sure how much mind share or time it'll take away from Elon and the current Tesla executives for this. It, it certainly will take some away. Um, but I think probably the biggest distraction is is more financial. Tesla carries, or I mean, excuse me, Solar City carries a lot of funding needs, and there's sort of been a whole web of how that's been funded. Tesla being part of that, surprisingly, I think even SpaceX was part of that that too, and, and other players. And so I view this just as much as a potential burden on Tesla on Tesla's financials. They already have a pretty significant sum of of debt, but this could distract them financially when they already are needing to raise money left and right. So I think that that's a challenge. And then Solar City has changed their strategy um, a few times over the past couple years, probably like twice or so. Um, and going into the Tesla fold will probably cause them to change their strategy again, which brings more uncertainty. And I don't really know how that'll play forward. So it is a mixed bag. I'll jump in on the on the capital requirements for both of these businesses. You've got Tesla trying to build out the Gigafactory right now and scale up for the Model Three, huge capital allocation requirement. You've got Tesla building a plant for the in-house manufacturer of their own solar panels, huge capital requirement. Tesla's diluting its shares uh, to, to make this acquisition, which is, which is another uh, hotly contested topic for, for investors, too. And I just don't think now is the right time for SolarCity um, to be acquired, uh, at least for shareholders. It seems like we're at the apex of fear right now. We've seen a lot of political headlines. Uh, we, we know what happened in Nevada, where they had a retroactive decision that was very anti-solar, uh, not solar-friendly. Uh, and I think that all of that is baked into a an undervalued share price for Solar City right now. I just don't think now is the time to go out and put yourself up for sale to be acquired by Tesla. Who needs the money for their own projects anyway? Yeah, and you mentioned how there's there's a Musk factor and people respect him so much and therefore he can get away with things like that. The other key elements of all of this is just the reflexivity between all of all of the the news game he's playing, all these deals that he's making. This would not be possible because he's using shares. Shares are at a pretty lofty price compared to what the business is doing for Tesla. For Tesla, yeah. and so he's basically kind of keeping the hype going, keeping the news rolling to keep the shares up, so that he can continue to raise money this way, make deals this way, and so there there's an added risk from that as well. Simon, when I hear, and it doesn't even have to be in this deal, but in the past when I have heard acquisition deals and offers referred to as lowball, there's a pretty good chance that shareholder lawsuits follow. Do you think that we're going to be seeing that with Solar City shareholders? I would almost guarantee you'll see those the lawsuits popping up in the next couple of weeks or so. Tesla's in due diligence right now. We're going to have an upcoming vote on this. But um, you have to consider purchase price and Elon's Musk's affiliation with both parties when you consider those. One thing I would briefly add to that is that both Elon Musk and the Rive brothers of Solar City have 
agreed to yeah. not vote their shares for this. So there, there probably will be lawsuits because there always are lawsuits. Yeah. But it's actually more shareholder friendly with them stepping out and allowing the more third party shareholders to be voting instead. Very true. And Chris, if, if I can take just a moment to explain why I keep calling this a lowball offer. Um, the majority of the value of Solar City right now is is already baked into existing contracts they already have. Residents and businesses sign 20-year contracts to provide power to them at low rates, uh, which Solar City inks, and it's it's that's a contractual obligation. It's existing business already. And when you look at the present value of all of those existing contracts, it's about $20 per share today. Um, so really the high end of Tesla's offer, which is at today's price, or at least yesterday's Tesla price, was about $28.50. Tesla is saying all of the growth of this business is worth only about $8.50 per common share of SolarCity today. And when you look at, historically, how much value they're adding to shareholders every year, um, I think that that is not capturing the long-term potential of this multi-trillion dollar electric energy industry in the United States. Last question, then we'll move on. Is there a price that that you would feel good about as a Solar City shareholder, or do you just look at this and say, "No, I want them to to keep giving this a shot uh, and try and go it alone"? There's a definite range. I, I have to re-crunch the numbers because of the Nevada decision it actually is affecting the business of Solar City uh, recently. I, I don't think that that affects everything uh, two years out. But in the last six months or so, we have seen fewer bookings, which is affecting the operations of Solar City, which is how we, we model a company like this. But I will say that this is historically at very, very low multiples of what typically uh, Solar City has sold in terms of a multiple of the value of their current business and the uh, value of their growth of the business. We have some movement on the commercial drone front. The FAA has released new regulations that will go into effect in late August. And Aaron, I was struck by the fact that beyond just sort of uh, dictating what these rules are going to be in terms of who gets to fly drones, what's involved in terms of licenses and that sort of thing, you don't need a pilot's license, you need Mm -hmm. a drone license, which is apparently a lot easier and a lot cheaper to come by. The FAA went out of its way to talk about what this is going to do for the U.S. economy, saying, we think the commercial drone industry is going to add 100,000 jobs in the next 10 years. It's going to add $82 billion to the U.S. economy. And yet, I get the sense that they're not popping the champagne over at Google or Amazon and Walmart and, and places not quite that are looking at it. <laughs> um, where are we now when it comes to commercial drones? Yeah, so previously, there was pretty much a rule on every single thing you could do with a drone. This allows you to operate it with fewer restrictions, um, still manually controlling it within line of sight, um, but it doesn't quite extend to autonomous drones, which is what the Googles and Amazons are most interested in. So they, they deliver packages and go around doing their own thing. And we don't we as humans don't even have to, to deal with it too much. So we're not quite there, but this is a good step in the right direction because there are plenty of use cases that don't have to be autonomous. Um, so I was I was looking at the the numbers a little bit and as you mentioned, hundred thousand jobs potentially. Um, they anticipate up to eighty billion or more in value um, created in the next decade. But currently how it's done, 
with with getting permission from the government to use drones, there's just a giant backlog of companies requesting permission. The government has to go one by one and look at each one. But but now that's going to go away, and there'll be companies, thousands of companies across all industries that'll have the ability without having to wait anymore um, to to start using this. And I think that is the big news here. Especially for investors, right? Because now things get interesting. It's kind of neat having a drone follow you around as you're surfing on Hawaii's North Shore or whatever you're doing, action sports related. But the real bang for your buck as an investor is going to be how is a commercial company going to monetize uh, drones into their business, and what does that mean for shareholders? So it gets interesting now. Yeah, I think, it's a Chris. productivity boost. And Chris, I know you—you you are a surfer on the North Shore, right? not even remotely. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was the look you saw in my face. Where I was like, "What are you talking about?" I, first of all, I'm not surfing on the North Shore. Secondly, I don't want a robot flying behind me when when that is happening. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Dan Schmidt in South Korea. I've been listening to all the Motley Fool podcasts for about a year now and learning a lot. One thing I'm still confused on is why your services have things like watch lists or attractive price points for stocks. It seems like a constant theme is that no one can predict or time the market, but isn't waiting for the price of a particular stock to come down just another way of timing the market? Why not just always buy the stock whenever you have the money available, regardless of what the stock is currently trading at? It's a good question. It's a good question, Aaron. What do you think? So, I totally agree with the phrase that time in the market is much more important than timing the market. Generally, that's, that tends to be true. But, alas, there are no firm rules here, and context is king in pretty much all of this. So, for example, there are times where valuations get super lofty. We've seen bubbles through history. There's even more hype on a microeconomic basis, just looking company by company. And so, from that Fact alone, um, I think it makes sense to at least be price conscious. Um, and how you approach this also depends on your investing style. So there isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer here. If you want a more concentrated portfolio, um, it might make sense to wait until you are very certain that a stock will give you good returns, which could be a totally different philosophy from someone who's younger, is more willing to take risks, who wants to own more businesses. Um, and they'll be okay just buying a company um, that has good prospects for a decade on. And then only after that, when they're looking at potentially making it a larger percentage of their portfolio, would they start thinking about the price more and more. And there, there's a lot of different ways to kind of twist all of that. But I would just say everything is contextual. Um, and thinking about this question through the specific context of your life, portfolio, and strategy will help you come up with the best answer for yourself. Yeah, I agree with what Aaron said. I mean, what what can you model? I mean, if you're building a model and you're coming up with a price target, how sure are you with the inputs that you're putting into that model? And if it's a business like a like a Starbucks or a Walmart, I mean, maybe you can pretty um, with a high degree of accuracy get the, the inputs correct on a model like that. But if you're putting something like you know an e-commerce player or a tech company or somebody that's going to sell software or even I mean social networking when Facebook first came out, nobody knew how big that was going to be. Something that has the majority of the value of the company in the future that is unknown, you're going to get it wrong. Um, so don't let a price target that is out there for a 12-month forecast uh, convince you to not buy a stock that could have a really really big future. Well, I think I think Dan sounds like one of those people who is at that point in his life where he he is taking the approach of, hey, if I've got some available money, I want to put it to use right away, and I'm not 
uh, I, I'm not looking to necessarily get the best possible price. Um, um, but we we have seen that um, in the past with a, a variety of different companies, and and one that comes to mind uh, is Facebook. When you when you think mm-hmm. about where Facebook was trading, roughly eight to twelve months after its IPO, and it had dropped down, and I just remember walking around this building, talking with analysts, some of whom were looking at it and just saying, "Well, this is nuts." The, you know that that Facebook is trading this low, like that's mm-hmm. just sort of crazy. I mean, that's to to me, Aaron. The, the some of the examples that that leap to mind the quickest are the ones on the extreme. Yeah. Where where a, where a quality company that is the price has been knocked down on its stock, where you're like, well, that's just stupid. And on the flip side, it's uh, and I don't mean to pick on them, but it's Shake Shack trading at ninety dollars a share, where you're just like, wait a minute, that's insane that it would be that high. And that's you know, and and if I were someone interested in shorting stocks, that is one I would short. Yeah, and I, I think it really is again contextual, and it really just depends on what exactly you're looking at. One thing I would say though is if you are someone who's regularly investing money, that's me. That's a lot of other people. You have a watch list because you can't invest in everything at once, also, and so you you have it to study it over time, look at it over time, so that you can figure out at any given time which one you should go for when you have the money, and so. Call it timing, call it something else. You still have to pick and choose. Well, and and one thing that you've just alluded to is not directly addressed in Dan's question, but is something that I think investors should always keep in mind, and that's fees. That yeah. What are the fees? so you know if you have a system set up where you're where you're not paying high fees and you can make more frequent purchases, that's great. But for a lot of people, there is some sort of transactional fee, and you it is something you always want to keep in mind. Yeah, I think we normally say the general rule of thumb around here is to keep the fees two percent or less of of your your trading. And I would I would go a little further to say you don't have to trade like crazy. You don't need to buy everything. You should at least put some thought <laughs> into what you're buying instead of just being like, oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna buy it because price doesn't matter. You know that that doesn't really work out for you very well. But but I mean. Every every context is different. Having a watch list can still be important, I think. Uh, before we get to our final story, I uh, want to welcome uh, on the other side of the glass with our man Dan Boyd today, um, uh, one of our listeners. Mike Stern is here with his son Alex. So thank you for coming in to Fool HQ. Uh, Tyson Foods in the news because Tyson Foods is the company behind well a lot of meats. One of which is Ballpark Franks, and uh, as a promotion leading up to the Fourth of July holiday, Tyson Foods is giving away ten thousand packages of Ballpark Franks. This is huge. This is huge. There's a little bit of a hitch, though. They're doing it on Twitter to people who are named either Frank or Angus. <laughs> but for those of us, I would argue most of us are not named Frank or Angus. I think this is an interesting little wrinkle. They're Going to give it away to people who change their name on Twitter to Frank or Angus for a day. Beautiful. I don't. I mean, you know what I'm doing right after. Is, this. is that what you're doing? <laughs> is that what you're going to nice be doing? To meet your friend. <laughs> uh, so there you go. For anyone looking for uh, a free package of Ballpark Franks, uh, just in time for the upcoming Independence Day holiday, which in their announcement they they included that it is the top holiday for hot dog sales. That makes sense. Yeah, doesn't it? I mean, you guys grill, right? All the time. All right. 
Are, are you a hot dog Especially guy? Especially when I'm when I call myself Chef Frank. That's right, or Chef Angus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frank Erickson, <laughs> Angus Bush. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 